Hi, you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Um, okay, anyways, hey everybody, it's Jen and I'm excited to have y'all back this week. Now, this week's topic is a little more sobering, but it's very hope-filled and I I felt like in light of everything that's been going on in the nation and just the emotional condition of our nation due to the unjust murder of George Floyd, I wanted to speak to that, but not as a not from my point of experience. I wanted to have a friend who is in the black community who I know and trust and love, and I knew she'd be a safe space to ask some important questions that sometimes don't get asked. And I think people don't realize they can ask or that those questions might even be welcome by the black community. And so I feel like the best way to bridge gaps is to try to understand each other. So Bria, I am so grateful that you're coming on my show for a second time at this. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) And I actually already recorded this episode earlier today. And we spent an hour talking and it did not record. So we are doing this for a second time. And we're so sweet to do this again. Anyways. Okay. So Bria, tell us first just a little bit about ourselves. So my listeners know who you are and kind of have a point of orientation for you. Yep. So uh, my name is Bria Evans. Um, I am a fashion designer um, from Beaumont, Texas, currently living in Dallas. Um, But yeah, that's that's who I am. I'm a believer. Um, just trying to live life in my purpose. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Bria and I met each other. Golly, what was it now? Like two years ago? No, really? Probably, probably like a, a year. Probably like exactly a year ago. Okay. Because uh, wow. yeah, I was prepping for New York Fashion Week, so it was probably oh, like around a year ago. It was okay. Wow, a lot has happened in a year. I know. <laughs> Dang. So Bria, I actually discovered Bria reading the local magazine or local newspaper, and they featured her because she was prepping for New York Fashion Week and she was fundraising um, Mm -hmm. and and all that to be able to get there. Anyways, when I saw that she was a believer in fashion, I was like, oh my gosh, I need this girl to be my friend. And so (laughs) I stalked her on social media until I found her. And um, she was so sweet and uh, let me take her out to lunch and we got to know each other. And realized we had a whole lot more in common than we thought. She, um, Bria, you worked with your church. Were you on staff there, or were you volunteer? I know your dad was a pastor for a while. And yeah, I just volunteered. Um, I we were sort of like in transition mode, and so at the time they were trying to like revamp the young adult ministry. So um, I took charge of that, and I also worked with the youth choir. And um, sometimes, like occasionally during youth church, I would out but yeah okay so she and I connected on the ministers in fashion yeah and so (laughs) we had a really great time okay so today's topic we've seen and Bria you can probably attest to this there's just been a wide range um all in the same general direction typically but Mm -hmm. a wide range of emotions and expressed feelings and expressed words around the topic of racial injustice and, and what happened to George Floyd, which I don't think anyone thinks was justified. Like that was completely wrong. Um, but I wanted to pull on you and hear from you to speak from a, from the perspective of a black American and Mm -hmm. what it's like 
to watch that happen in the news. What and just give some of us your perspective on how white folks or brown folks or anybody who might not see see things as the black community would to to have some enlightenment on how to walk with you guys and how to just walk more sensitive in general. Yeah, um, well, definitely like coming off the heels of what happened a few weeks prior um, with Ahmaud Aubrey and, you know, his unjust killing um, and then coming and seeing this, I, I just didn't think it would happen so soon. You know, mm-hmm. I thought we were going to have a chance to kind of like breathe <laughs> yeah. before another thing happened. And so I remember just waking up and seeing this, you know, on the news and I was like, you know, here we are again, you know, here we are, Mm -hmm. um, in a place that's just like broken. And, um, I feel like a lot more people are starting to realize it. A lot of more people are starting to wake up and, you know, really Mm -hmm. see what's going on in the world. Um, and a lot of people are starting to speak out on it that aren't black, which is, you know, amazing it's <laughs> it's like a breath of fresh air that you know we don't have to really carry that weight of having to just like fight for ourselves anymore yeah. but now we have sort of a, an ally in this whole situation so it's yeah. it's definitely been um a rough couple of weeks in the black community um pretty much every every black person that I've seen talk about it has pretty much expressed that they are either just exhausted or they're numb. And, Mm. um, I feel like that's just the overall, um, word for the black community right now is that we're just Mm. a little tired, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I, Bria and I were talking earlier, um, Bria, I shared with you about how I'd made a post on Facebook and, um, and I, I had seen another friend's post and she, she's a uh, black American and she made, made the same comment you just made where she was like, Hey, if you're wondering why we're quiet, it's because we're not okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that kind of struck me and I was like, like, I should realize that, but I, I still had to hear it to, to yeah. wake up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and get outside of my world and my way of approaching life. And, and so then I decided, what can I do? Because silence still sends a message and it's the mm-hmm. message I don't want to be sending right. um, a message of indifference or that I don't care or that I'm not affected. And so I'm not going to do anything about it. And that is not the message that's needed right now. And I, I asked you because some people are saying, Hey, don't just raise your voice on social media. That's great. But actually do something, you know, mm-hmm. Which is true. We need to do something. But if anyone feels like I do, I'm like, I literally don't know what to do. Yeah. I'm I'm not in the police force. I don't (laughs) make laws. Like, is there a senator I can reach out to about this? Like, I literally don't know how to fix it. But I do know I can get on Facebook and I can echo that this is not okay and make people in the black community feel heard and validated Mm -hmm. and seen and valued. And, and so you were telling me a little bit about what that's been like, um, for, for people. And is that enough? Is that enough for us to do that? Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, I personally appreciate, I know for some people they're like, it's not enough, you know, you should be hands-on, you should be out there protesting. Um, you know, and there are certain things to an extent that we can do. I know, um, Beaumont is having like a protest tonight. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, 
Yeah, it was, I, I think I saw it like earlier today. I think it was sort of okay. like last minute, but I saw it earlier today. Um, you know, and so if that is something that you feel called to do, go do it. You know, if you kind of feel like maybe I'll be in the way of things, um, you know, stay in the back, you know, allow the black voices to be heard. But mm-hmm. I know for me, just seeing that I have friends on my timeline, like I said, I don't know if it's because a while back I kind of scrubbed my <laughs> my timeline of people <laughs> who were just, you know, kind of being ignorant to what was happening. But I think now more than ever, I'm seeing a lot of people come out and speak against it. Yeah. So for me personally, that's like, okay, we've made steps. You know, we, we're finally being heard. People are finally, you know, confronting, you know, some maybe past prejudices or biases that they have um, in them and like waking up and realizing that this isn't okay and that I can be an ally to my Black friend um, yeah. and the Black community by just simply speaking up because you never know who's on your timeline. And they may see you speaking up and they're like, well, man, you know, if she's speaking up, let me let me do a heart check. Let me see if there's anything that I have in my heart that's hindering me from, you know, loving my brother or sister that doesn't look like me and isn't, you know, of the same background and upbringing of me. Um, So it's definitely been a sort of breath of fresh air, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, seeing how many people are coming out and being like, this is not okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I loved how you said it earlier too, where you said the impact that it, that it makes on you is that it makes you feel like you don't carry the weight, the full mm-hmm. weight of having to educate people because white folks now and other folks are speaking up to educate for you and that it, it lifts a load. Right. And it does. It definitely does. I know that there have been a lot of people who have been sharing like resources like, okay, how can I further educate myself without having to go to, you know, a black friend and say, you know, what are the resources? Mm. Uh, So I've been seeing a lot of posts that have been circulating about, you know, it's like a Google Docs of different links that will bring you to books and Um, interviews and podcasts about these issues so that you can further educate yourself without feeling like you're um, bothering, you know, your friend or whatever. Now, if a friend is up for a conversation by any means, you know, if they're willing to talk to you and give you, you know, personal insight as to their life and, you know, the stories that they have by any means, you know, talk to them. Um, But there are resources where you can like really just dive deep and see like, you know, just the different things that have happened in the history of this country that have sort of led to um, what we're seeing today. Yeah, that's so good. If you actually if you would message me at some point when you find that doc and then I'll put it in my link in bio and my link tree and that way people can access it if they want to. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, so now I have heard some people say like. Like, hey, this isn't about, and and I've heard black people say this. Hey, and I've heard white people, I've heard both sides say this. And I don't know if it's just a way of processing and coping with it and minimizing it so that it can feel more controllable, or I just don't really know what to do with it. But some people are saying, you know, hey, this isn't about black and white. This isn't really about race. It's just about humanity, which is true. Like, this is ultimately at the bottom of it about how you treat your fellow human. Mm -hmm. Um, But how do you respond to times when people are like, 
it's not Black Lives Matter. It's all lives matter. And they kind of take away from the focus on the unique injustices that you guys feel. How do you process that? Yeah, I've been seeing a post circulate a lot about people who are like, you know, I see no color, you know, because mm-hmm. for a while that, exactly. that kind of... <laughs> That kind of like soothed the wound of like, you know, oh, well, maybe they're, you know, they, they're not racist because they don't see color. Uh-huh. And, and now people are like, no, it's good if you see color, because that means you're able to recognize that there is a clear difference between you and I. And you can come and talk to me and get an understanding of yeah. what that difference is, um, you know. And so it it is an uh, it is a Black Lives Matter issue because we're the lives that are being affected. We're the lives that are being recorded and uh, dehumanized um, on a worldwide platform, you know? So not that all lives don't matter, you know, everyone matters, but at this current point in time, this is, this is what we're talking about. This is the problem at hand. Um, So yes, it is a humanity issue when it comes down to how do you view your fellow human, you know, mm-hmm. do you view them as an equal or do you view them as inferior to you? Um, so in that way, yeah, it is a humanity thing, <laughs> but it is yeah. also very real, uh, a black lives matter issue. Yeah. As well. yeah, I agree. And I feel like, I feel like to kind of take it into another context, maybe people understand a little, a little better. That would be like, that would be like your kid has a drug addiction and you're going to friends or you're speaking up about the problem, say drugs are, you know, being handed out of school like candy, you know, and mm-hmm. you're like, there's a drug problem. But then someone else comes along and goes, you know, there are lots of parenting problems. This isn't even a drug problem. This is an right. education problem. And they try to like redirect it to something that you're like, but you're not hearing me. You're not right. listening to me. This is still mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so... And that's a lot of that's a lot of what it is, is that a lot of people want to be heard, but a lot of people don't want to listen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Girl, <laughs> I, like after we recorded the first time, I had a friend who texted me about, you know, uh, she had posted the quote about, you know, we hear the people who are being silent as well. And um, a friend messaged her and was like, you know, well, what if I have these other issues going on in my life and, you know, I'm just not speaking out about it? And she was like, well, do you have these other issues going on? (laughs) And if you don't, why are you choosing not to speak about it? And um, the stance that that person took was very argumentative and it Mm -hmm. wasn't trying to understand. It wasn't like constructive. And so she was like, you know what? I just have to lose this person as a friend on my friends list and that's okay." And I was like. You know, because as much as we're on social media and as much as, you know, we interact with each other on a daily basis through that way, especially right now, I just don't want to wake up every day and see ignorance on my timeline. I can't, you know, I just can't do it anymore. You know, it it stresses me out to a point where, I mean, like I I used to really get worked up about it, like Mm -hmm. to the point where I could feel my chest tightening. And so when I started feeling that way, I said, okay, it's time for me to like, lose some friends on my friends list. It's time to scrub, scrub my friends, you know, and that's not to say that I don't care to know about differences. And I don't, it's not to say that I don't care to have constructive conversations, but I'm not going to tolerate, you know, you just 
talking off the fly, you know, and when someone tries to correct you, then you come from a stance of, you know, you're trying to argue, you know, it's not constructive. So when I see that happening, when I see that this person is just really not trying to change, they're not trying to hear me out, then at that point, I make the decision to say, okay, we can end this, uh, (laughs) this social friendship, social media friendship, um, because it's just not worth the stress at all. Yeah. And honestly, what I hear at the bottom of what a lot of um, Black Americans are crying out for is really what we all cry out for is I want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I, I have, I've gone through counseling and stuff for, for relationships that were very, very toxic. And mm-hmm. it was amazing to me how, when you feel like your voice is not heard, it actually is so disorienting and makes you feel so confused and, and it really skews your self image even because you then start to second guess yourself. Like, mm-hmm. am I really right? Is this really true? Is, is anyone hearing me? You know, do I really matter? And I think it just comes down to like our human fundamental social need is I need to be heard. I need, mm-hmm. I, I need to be heard. I need to be seen and I need to know that I matter. And I think at the bottom of really any situation where healing needs to happen, it's really important that we offer that to people is right. not to argue the point who cares. Like I know there are other injustices that happen mm-hmm. to other races, but right. That's not the conversation right now. Right. <laughs> just listen to what is being said. Right. And, and just that listening and people feeling heard mm-hmm. makes them feel empowered to change, to make change and to affect change again and feel empowered in their own life. And so I'm really talking to the listeners at this point is like we as white folks or we as um, Hispanics or any anybody else on the other side of the conversation like we can offer a lot of healing by hearing and by listening and validating the voices that are speaking up right now or that feel like they can't speak up right now. Right. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like that's why a lot of people are in a place of like being able to move forward is like, we're finally starting to see sort of all the times that we've told people there is a problem, you know, mm-hmm. and so many people are like, oh, there's, there's not a problem there. You know, let's wait mm-hmm. to find out the whole story. Maybe they're a criminal. Maybe they did deserve this. And we're like, it's not a matter of whether they did wrong or right. It's a matter of they did not deserve to die in this manner. Yeah. You know, there have been plenty of times when we've seen police handle situations in a manner where the, um, the criminal or the person who committed the crime has come out unscathed. And it's like, you have these situations where, you know, they don't even give a chance for black people to be innocent, you know, because of, you know, Oh, you fit the description, you know? And so now more than ever, I feel like it's a time to really just listen. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people have been listening and they're finally able to say like, okay, I've listened, I've done the work. Now let me speak out. Let me validate what you're feeling um, by speaking out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, I'm going to jump through these 10. I looked online about like, Hey, what are some things we can do to help reconcile racial differences and and fight racism? Mm -hmm. And um, they came up with these 10 suggestions, which, which a lot of them kind of work together. So I'm going to run through these and I'd love you to share any thoughts that you have on any of these. 
Um, the first one is what we can do to help fight racism is learn about other people and their culture, but go beyond foods and festivals. Yeah, for sure. Um, like what I shared earlier about the the hair thing, mm -hmm. you know, we hold so much pride in our hair. And that's why you've seen a lot of um, Black women go natural is because like we mm -hmm. finally have sort of regained this strength through our hair and not making and not letting people uh, make us feel small because, you know, we don't have straight hair, but now we finally have pride in our hair again. And, you know, so it can be kind of harmful when, you know, you see people who aren't, aren't black, who, you know, do wear these hairstyles um, that we consider, you know, to be um, a staple in the black community. Not that we own the hairstyle, but that is right. just, you know, um, a staple to right. it and they're praised for it. But then, we sort of get the backlash of like, this is unprofessional, this, mm. you know, your hair is unkept, you know, but then you have magazine covers who are like, this is the new hairstyle. This is, you know, yeah. on the rage. And so, you know, you have to go deeper in understanding, you know, well, why is it that they have such an attachment to their hair? Why, you know, and I mean, it's, it's hair, but there are other things and other cultures that, you know, go deeper than food and festivals. But when you take the time to really learn about other cultures and really to just understand, you know, the ins and outs of other cultures, you're able to also understand, you know, some places that are hurt, some places that are bruised mm -hmm. and places that do need healing um, in order to move forward and affect change in our communities. Yeah, I love that. And I love that the emphasis here is on going deeper because... Mm -hmm. Um, I gave an example earlier, but I'll use it again of where I was in a small group with some girls that I mentored and, um, and it was a very mixed cultural group. And there was a couple of black girls, a couple Hispanic girls, a white girl and, and, and a mixed girl. And, um, and we were all sharing food and we were, you know, a bunch of us were picking off of each other's plates or test or eating each other's food, you know? And the yeah. Hispanic girls and myself were like, oh, this is fun. You know, we're family. Just share what's mine is yours kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the black sisters was like she was kind of visibly offended by it. Mm -hmm. And we were all like close and had close relationships. And so we just we just asked her about it. We were like, hey, how come it brings about this reaction? Can you tell us more? Like, help us understand. And so she opened up and started to share about her culture. Now, one of the black girls, she wasn't affected by it because I guess in her family, it wasn't as touchy, but she knew yeah. how the culture perceived it. And so she was still careful with it. But whereas she knew us well enough, she knew our heart's intent was right. that it was more of a, a thing of camaraderie. But I guess in the, in the black culture, in regard to food, it was considered very disrespectful to take someone's food off their plate because it's like you're stealing from them, you know, mm -hmm. because- back in the day, food was scarce. And so right. if you had food, you didn't take it from somebody, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I'm so glad you just shared that with me. Cause I literally had no idea. And I yeah. probably unintentionally offended friends thinking that I was showing a gesture of family, you know? Right. And sometimes that goes to like a uh, privilege, you know, like some people feel like, you know, they don't have to ask. They can just take, you know, mm -hmm. and so yeah. sometimes it might be a thing of like, why do you feel privileged enough to just reach over, you know, on yeah. my plate and take my, now for me personally, 
if you're my friend and we're out to eat, you know, I know you, you know, mm-hmm. so if you want to taste some of my food, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do understand where she was coming from in the position of like, you know, why did you feel comfortable enough <laughs> to yeah. reach over on my plate <laughs> and right. take my food? Um, so, so yeah, it, there are definitely cultural differences, you know, that you just never know until sometimes you're put in that position, you know, and you realize like, oh, you know, this is a difference that we have. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay. The second one is explore the unfamiliar. Put yourself in situations where you are in the visible minority. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've been in situations like that before. Say you're visiting a new church. And you are clearly the oddball out, or you feel like it's clear to everyone else. It may, nobody may realize you're the new guy, you know, right. but it feels very uncomfortable, um, you know, or like in my neighborhood, actually, my whole neighborhood until, until just recently, my whole neighborhood was a bunch of black families and mm-hmm. then our family and my husband's Indian and I'm white. And I was like, at first I was like, I did not realize I have lived in predominantly white neighborhoods until that moment. And I was like, this is pretty awesome. Like, my goodness, this is so cool. And I love all my neighbors and they're awesome, you know, but I was like, wow, I get to understand what it feels like to be on the other side, maybe as a, as more of a minority. So how would you, do you feel like that's helpful for people to intentionally look for those opportunities? Yeah. I mean, especially if you're going to talk about, you know, rebuilding and rewiring, you have to put yourself in someone else's shoes. You have to, you know, look through the lenses of someone else. Um, And like you said, we've all been in positions where we've felt the minority, you know, and it may be the flip side of that where, you know, you're the only white person in a black space. You know, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel small sometimes because you're like, you know, there's all this camaraderie that they share culturally, you know, let alone, you know, in in the workplace that they already have this sort of level playing field, you know. Mm -hmm. So when you step into that, it does make you feel like an oddball. So just imagine feeling like that in your in your own country, you know, when you have to go out, um, you know, like I said, my mom, she taught me and my sister, you know, when you go outside of the house, you you look a certain way. You know, you don't go outside the house with your hair all over your head. You don't mm-hmm. go outside the house with, you know, baggy pants and slides, even though some days that's comfortable for me. <laughs> and some days I don't feel like, you know, look, look, looking all the way together. I just kind of want to be chill. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because of the perception that somebody else might look at me and say, you know, I don't feel too comfortable with her in my store or I don't feel too comfortable with her around my kids just because mm-hmm. of the way that I'm dressed, not because I'm a bad person. They don't know me, you know, they right. don't know me from the person, the next person off the street. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have to put yourself in that mindset of like, wow, some people really have to think about these things, whereas mm-hmm. I'm able to you know, go to the store in whatever I want to wear, however Mm -hmm. I want my hair to be, you know. Um, And once you're able to see that from somebody else's perspective, you're Mm -hmm. able to start implementing change and just, you know, changing the way you interact with people on a day-to-day basis. That's huge. Like we, we mentioned earlier, like I think one of the keys, and this is really what you're emphasizing is 
is that when you can get into an empathetic position, which is where mm-hmm. you can look at a situation from someone else's perspective, yeah, that's a, it's emotional maturity to begin with. <laughs> right. <laughs> you want to be a healthy individual. You need to be good at this um, Yes. and have healthy relationships. But, and, and that just, that just translates right over into even the racism situation, which racism is when people chronically only mm-hmm. look at life through the lens of their race and they proactively consider others less than. Right. And that's wrong. It's yeah. completely wrong. Like, like, no one can control what their skin turned out like as a baby. Like, did you right. control that? Like, makes <laughs> you any more entitled to life than the next person? You know? Right. And so, yeah. I love that the the focus on empathy for sure. Making okay. So the third one, which you mentioned that your parents um, did this uh, subtly, but it made a difference, a big difference, mm-hmm. is being a proactive parent and talking to your children candidly about race. But you mentioned that instead of the conversations happening, they just positioned you in environments that were more mixed. And, right. and so you didn't feel like the oddball out for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, my elementary school, I mean, it was, it was when I went, it had only been open for maybe two or three years. So it was like the it school, like everybody wanted their children to be there. So it was, but it was just so full of just different races and different backgrounds that, you know, I really didn't see a difference between me and my classmates, you know, and it wasn't until I sort of got older that I really felt, you know, black, that I really felt, um, you know, that my race made a difference. Um, you know, like I said, I tried out for, um, officer for my drill team that for the most part was predominantly white for very many years. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was about two or three other black girls who tried out with me and I was the only black girl that made it. And, Mm -hmm. um, not only was I black, I was like chocolate because we were like outside (laughs) in the heat. Like I was tan. Um, so I, I stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, but it wasn't until then that I really sort of felt that my race made me different because I, mm-hmm. I had heard through the grapevine that a girl made a comment that, you know, the only reason I made it was because I was black mm-hmm. and, you know, that had to be represented because of the amount of black people that actually tried out. And it wasn't because, you know, I just proved to be the better dancer or the better leader, but because it was, it was because of my skin tone, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was probably the first time that I really saw, like saw myself as, black and Mm -hmm. that my skin tone did make me different. Um, And that's sort of, I think, when we really started having conversations about, you know, race and, um, you know, when the Trayvon Martin situation happened, um, you know, that's when my parents sort of started talking to us about it. And then, you know, just more and more as we got older, um, we started seeing things happen more frequently. Um, And that's really when we started, you know, really having those conversations about, you know, what do you do in certain situations? You know, how do you Mm -hmm. how do you react? How do you handle yourself? Um, And I think that was like sort of the wake up call that like, okay, this is really a problem in the country right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do we solve it? You know? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I agree. I feel like I feel like parents, for those listening who are parents, like don't underestimate the key, key role that you play at this time in training how your children look at differences, mm-hmm. differences in general, but especially race, because it's the most one of the most easy to identify from from encountering somebody is, right. oh, your skin's a different color than mine. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I feel like even me as a child, I grew up on a missionary um, as a missionary kid. And so we lived on an Indian reservation and I grew up with the mindset of loving other races on purpose because we were missionaries. And so I remember, I think my first encounter with racism, it just did not make sense to me. I was like, what is wrong with these ignorant people? Like, <laughs> like it, I literally did not have a grid for it. And my yeah. kids, they see I'm married to daddy and he's Indian, you know, and so they don't have a grid for it either. And I love yeah. that. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, and so when they hear about racism, they're like, that's stupid. I'm like, yep, basically it is. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It is literally ignorance. And so, um, but really at the bottom of that, like we have to shepherd our children's hearts to realize like what's at the bottom of racism is really pride and fear. Mm -hmm. It's it's pride that I'm better than you for some reason. And then (laughs) fear because we are afraid and we criticize that which we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so if you as a parent can guide your children's hearts through and they'll encounter all kinds of differences, you know, whether it's race or whether it's education or whether it's, you know, um amount of money the family makes or where the family lives, you know, or different mm-hmm. things, there's all kinds of differences and really guarding and shepherding our children's hearts to always see the beauty in differences and to yeah. celebrate people's differences then then we can shift literally a generation yeah. into a healthier direction. And that's what I feel like we're starting to see more of is this sort of shift that's taking place in people being like, I'm not going to tolerate you being racist. You know, I'm yeah. not going to yeah. tolerate this at all. Um, and they're starting to, to speak out. And so that gives me hope for the next generation that, you know, they'll be able to be raised in these, environments where they talk about race, but they talk about it in a way that's healthy and they talk about it in a way that's going to um, make their kids, you know, be a champion for others as opposed to walking around and feeling like I'm better than them, you know? Um, So yeah, definitely having that conversation as a parent, Um, you know, like my sister just had a baby, he's seven months and Mm -hmm. they're already talking about when do we have the conversation with him about mm-hmm. race? Cause he's a boy, you know, so yeah. already he, wow. you know, they feel like he has that sort of target. Um, but hopefully by the time that he gets to an age where, you know, he is older, this mm-hmm. won't even be, you know, an issue. That's my prayer out mm-hmm. of all of this, that, you know, we can start being that seed of change. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, I know that it's not going to happen overnight, but I just want better for the generation that comes after us, that they don't have to deal with these things. They don't have to wake up to, you know, Instagram to find out that another person has been killed senselessly behind uh, race, you know, racism and prejudices. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, I feel like that's the big, picture here and it starts at home with the conversations that we have with each other in our circles. 
I agree. I agree. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm just going to take one more point here because I just don't want to take your whole day since you were oh, no, you're, you're, fine. you're so sweet. You're fine. Um, but these actually, these next two points kind of tie together. And then the rest of them are kind of a summary of the things we've already addressed. But, mm-hmm. um, one of them is don't tell or laugh at stereotypical jokes and mm-hmm. think before you speak because words can hurt whether you mean them to or not. And I feel like those really go together. Yeah. Um, because people underestimate how stereotyping jokes or telling them or laughing at them. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. you might not tell the joke, but just laughing at it still sends a message to your friend that you're, you're, you're finding entertainment at their expense. Right. And, and your words hurt whether you yeah. mean it or not. And so, um, like I gave the example earlier of how my husband watches this popular show. It's a Christian family and they, they pray in their show and stuff, but you know, they're kind of, uh, they're kind of out of the sticks and whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a very male dominant show. And I told my husband, I was like, I don't really like this show, even though they have great lessons they learn at the end of the day and whatever. I said, look how they talk to and treat their wives. Look how they talk about their wives. They're always minimizing them and making jokes about them and rolling their eyes at them and and making the women seem like they're a nuisance rather than honoring them and valuing them. You know, Disney does the same thing with boys and with parents. It always portrays boys as idiots or unless he's Prince Charming, you know, Mm -hmm. and then parents or adults as idiots. And for some reason, the girl is always the only one who has it all together. And I feel like racial jokes and racial slurs still perpetuate a racist mentality, even though it's meant to be lighthearted. So what would you say to that? Yeah, you know, you just have to stop it when you hear it, because even though they might pass it off as a joke and they may pass it off as something that, you know, is just small and little, you never know who might hear that. And that goes back into, you know, the conversations that you have at home. You Mm -hmm. might make a stereotypical joke at home and think, you know, it's just laughter, but your kids hear that and they take that in and they're like, well, my mommy, and you know, they look up to parents, you know, you're their role model. So they're like, well, my mom and dad said this. So maybe it's okay if I continue to say this. Um, And so, you know, you just have to, when you hear it, call it out. You know, why do you feel comfortable making a joke like that? Why do you feel comfortable, you know, laughing at someone else's expense? Because you just never know who's hearing that. And, you know, you might uh, validate something in them that they might have been struggling with, that they might have been wrestling with. And so you just never know how that will affect them and, you know, their future. Um, So, yeah, for sure. When you hear stuff like that, just, you know, call it out. (laughs) because some people might not expect it some people might be like wait did you just (laughs) did you just call me out on that um you know and it might surprise them and it might take them back and be like you know I don't I don't really know why I made that joke you know you know I don't I didn't I never found anything you know uh, bad about it you know so that's why I continue to make jokes like this um so until they're called out for it you know it they're not gonna change. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. Mostly because I mean, a lot of times it's done in ignorance and if it's not malicious, it's usually ignorant is all that it is, you know? Right. And then, and then when people are a little educated, then it's their choice, whether it's Mm -hmm. or ignorant. Right. (laughs) You know. And so, 
Okay, so I feel like um, something I mentioned earlier, just as a final thought, and I wanted to hear what you would leave everyone with as a final thought, but I wanted to make the point, as a white person, I didn't realize that my voice made a difference on the subject Mm -hmm. um, until I started seeing posts from my black friends who were like, why aren't you guys saying anything about this? And I remember when we were college ministers um, at our university, the majority is actually black students and international students. Mm-hmm. And when there was some other racist stuff happening in the news, we didn't, we didn't take to the news about, or we didn't take to social media platforms because it was kind of new and fresh. And to be right. honest, I didn't, I didn't know I needed to, I didn't know it was expected. I didn't know it. it, I just felt like I didn't know what to say about everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So I didn't say anything, but I know there were some students that later were like, you know, we were hurt that you guys didn't say anything. And I was like, holy crap. I didn't know my silence still sent a message. And I feel like for anyone who's listening, whenever you see someone who's um, either victimized or treated unjustly or, or, or just treated like they're smaller or less valuable. I feel like it's, it's twice as important that we champion their voice, you know? And, and I feel like I've, I've come to learn this, like even as a woman in ministry, I mentioned to Bria earlier that I may not be black, but we all have injustices that we have to deal with or, or, or some slot of a minority that we fit into. And mine is that I'm a woman in ministry and that's definitely a man's world. And I've had to educate my husband about what my experience is. And for the longest, he thought it was all in my head. And I told him, you know, babe, that's the equivalent of me telling you that racism against Indians doesn't exist just because I've never felt it. Right. And, and when he started listening, he, he realized what my experience was. But for me, what really made a difference was when he started beginning me in the place where I experienced validating mm-hmm. my voice and realizing I needed a change. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and when men in the, in the church circles, Chris Valentin and Danny Silk, they've written what? Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? Jenny? Twice as loud for yourself. Hello? Oh, hold on. There we go. Okay. Jenny, it was like break second. up. <laughs> Oh gosh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, we're still recording though, so we're good. Okay, okay, so as a as a final thought, what would you what would you leave my listeners with about how they can positively shift change in regard to racism? Um one of the things that I, I wanted to share with people because I didn't even, you know, realize that this was happening was the normalization of um, sharing images of uh, de- like dehumanizing black people and their lifeless bodies in the streets. And so mm-hmm. I challenge you all, you know, when you do see these videos and these posts, um, try not to share that. Like, I know it needs to be talked about and I know it needs to be addressed. Um, mm-hmm. But it's sort of a traumatic experience that happens every time somebody sees it. Like I, I flinch every time I, I see it. Um, 
I, you know, and I'm very careful about scrolling through Facebook and social media right now because it triggers something in me. It's the same thing that, you know, I sort of felt whenever I would look through history books and I would see pictures of, you know, the KKK like that, even though I didn't experience that personally, it sort of brought up this trauma, you know, in me that I didn't realize I was experiencing. So, you know, if you do want to bring light to conversations, find pictures of these people in their full form, you know, make sure that people see them in the light, you know, that they were to their communities. Um, And then I would also just say, you know, you you have the education. So now pass that education on to your friends and your family members who might be the people who are, you know, making the stereotypical comments. Um, about other races, Um, you know, find that person, have a conversation with them, uh, allow them to, you know, have some education, Um, do it in a way that is safe, you know, make a safe space for it. Don't do it in a way that's going to um, cause, you know, a tear in the relationship, but do it in a way that's really like constructive and it builds towards something because, you know, a virus can be good and it can be bad. It can spread good things and it can spread bad things. So which which side of the virus do you want to be on? Mm. Um, and so I feel like that's that's the for sure way that you can affect change and spread, you know, the word and, you know, be the voice for the black community is by now taking the next step to say, okay, let me find, you know, that next person that might be uneducated on this manner and yeah. matter and let me talk to them about it. Um, and then they'll, you know, it's just like a butterfly effect. They'll pass it on to somebody else and they'll pass it on to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's how we'll start to really see um, mm-hmm. change. I know, you know, people want to get out. They want to protest. And I am like all for it. <laughs> you know, yeah. go out and go out and, and protest and let your voice be heard. But another way to definitely see change is by really just having those tough conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you know, don't be afraid to, you know, ruffle a few feathers. You know, I know a lot of people want to be like and, you know, they, they want everybody to love them. I'm not one of those persons, you know, I have, I have a great set of friends. And if I have to lose a few on the way, that's fine. Um, because I'm just at a point in my life where I'm just not going to tolerate, um, hate. I'm not going to tolerate people who want to argue. Um, and so if, if you're a person and you want to really understand and you want to know, I am more than happy, you know, to talk to you. But if you're going to come to me from an argumentative um, standpoint, then, you know, we just don't have anything to talk about. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's, that's the for sure way that I feel like non people of color or non-black people can do their part and making sure that this isn't something that continues to happen Mm -hmm. in our country. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. So everybody listening, remember, she said, take ownership and responsibility for yourself, Mm -hmm. play your part in educating the people around you and don't let the uh, racist comments and jokes and the little thing, the little things, don't let those things slide, educate Mm -hmm. people. And I think if all of us make it our goal to really listen, like truly listen 
and, and validate the hearts and feelings of the people around us. And just starting with your own relationships. I mean, it doesn't require a national platform if mm-hmm. everyone takes responsibility for their right. relationships. <laughs> and so I think that's awesome. Bria, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that you've had this conversation with me twice now today. No, you're so um, welcome. <laughs> I'm so enriched by it. And I know this will be helpful for people. And um, man, I just appreciate you. So thank you no so problem. much, sister. You're welcome. Love you. All right. Love you too. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, Hey, It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this and God's got you.